We're going to be in First Thessalonians chapter 5, and uh, we're going to close it out tonight here. So good to see you all. First Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 12. The title of tonight's message is Recognize, Rejoice, and Read. Recognize, Rejoice, and Read. Quick recap. The church was started fairly quickly in a very populous city by Paul, Silvanus, or Silas is his name, and Timothy. These guys came in on a missionary journey, planted the church. People got saved. People grew up. The church was planted. They moved on. And um, how important it is that we realize that we're all leaders. You know, like we've been talking about, every one of you in this room is a leader. God has ordained it. Whether you know God or not, you lead people in one direction or another. But as the church, we're all leaders. You know, it's not just the people on stage or in the back office or cooking awesome tacos on Sunday. But everyone, and I'm thankful for that. And if you want to start doing that and helping out with that, if you feel led, no obligation uh, to see the people in the cafe on Sunday. But really, we're all leaders because we're all the body. There's only one head, and that's Jesus Christ. We all take direction from the same person, God himself. And so if he's our leader then the rest of us are all kind of just under that. But we need to recognize that. We need to recognize that. But we also talked about the rapture, how it's coming at any moment, how we talked that we should know the times and seasons. And if you're watching the times and seasons now, boy, it could come at any moment. But we also saw that God can change times and seasons. And also, you know, that we may not exactly know the time and season exactly, but we can go, it kind of looks like this. The Bible says these things are going to happen, so I wouldn't be surprised if the Lord comes back. You know, my wife and I are fully expectant that the Lord is going to come back before our children are of marrying age. Praise the Lord. If he doesn't, well, I'm going to keep her from marrying age until he does come back. <laughs> Sorry, Mia. I love you that much. You can marry Daddy. But the rapture is going to come at any moment. We talked at that word rapture. It's not in the Bible, but it is in the Bible. It's harpazo. It's the seas, the grass, by the way. It's sort of like there's a bus coming for your child in the street while they're going after the ball, and you rapture them out of the way. And that's the same thing God's doing with us. He's seizing us, snatching us out of the way of his coming wrath and judgment that we dug into uh, on Sunday. But tonight we're going to look at a, a few different things as we close out Thessalonians. Paul tends to kind of, I think, get in all those last minute little things. I think he sees his text message limited is about to be up. And so he kind of throws in a bunch of last stuff before the character count. But on that note, why don't we pray? Because there are a lot of things going on in our world. So, God, we, uh, we lift up uh, Baltimore. We lift up this nation. God, that, uh, this, Lord, this nation is divided. And, God, you say that a house divided cannot stand. And, God, uh, everything out there is just causing more division. And, God, not that we want to be united in unholiness, God, but we ask that you would bring this nation to its knees. And, God, I know that starts in the church. So help us to really believe that verse about if we would uh, humble ourselves and seek your face and turn from our wicked ways and pray. God, then you'll hear from heaven and heal our land. So God, help us turn from our wicked ways as a church, as your body. God, we have, like we've seen, what is your body doing with wickedness? What is your body doing with things that you would never do, Jesus? God, help us, convict us, encourage us. But God, would you heal this land? Would you really please, God, not just to say it, but would you please heal this land? That God, you might change the times and seasons for this land if you would be so gracious to do so. But if not, God, we accept what's coming for this nation, and we pray, God, that you would help us to minister through it. And we ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.
let's see, verse 12. I don't have any notes from, usually I put notes where to start and where to stop, so I have notes, but I don't know where to start and where to stop, so we're just going to go. <laughs> verse 12, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sakes. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. And abstain from every form of evil. We see here right away in verse 12 says, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And this word recognize simply means to know, to reckon. It means to see to perceive with the eyes, to perceive by any of the senses, to perceive, to notice, discern, discover, to see, to turn the eyes, the mind, the attention to anything, to pay attention, observe, to see about something, like look into something, but also ascertain what must be done about it. It's sort of this active sense word where you're actively looking into something. You're actively observing. You know, you're not just saying, oh, a car passed me. Like, oh, it was a blue GMC. It had spinners and, you know, the dog was hanging out the back window. It's actively recognizing what's going on um, in the leadership. But how do we recognize a leader? Is it just because they have a funny hat like some denominations do? Or, you know, man, I feel like I'm missing out. They get some cool wardrobe in some of these churches. But, (laughs) you know, really, it would be goofy for me to wear it. It would be really, really goofy. But is that what marks a leader? They just dress a little differently. You know, maybe the, the suits at work, you know they're the suits because they wear the suits and, and you're the blue-collar guy with the overalls and maybe that's how you can tell who your boss is. Spiritually, it should be a little different. It shouldn't be the way we necessarily look on the outside, but what are you receiving from them? How are they treating you? How are they treating the Word of God? Are they living it out? You know, I wouldn't want my spiritual leader to be someone who doesn't know what the Bible says or even worse, doesn't live it out. You know, I'd almost rather have the, the spiritual leader know two verses but have a life that lives out those two verses than a guy who knows how to exegete the entire Bible but doesn't know how to love me, doesn't know how to love others. And part of that is that they admonish you, that they encourage you, that they correct you, that they teach you what the Bible says. If you're not receiving from the person that is quote-unquote in leadership, well, you need to consider, why am I not receiving? Is it because I'm not listening? <laughs> For me, that's most of the time, you know, spacing out. I'm, I was driving, so I didn't catch that last verse, Lord, you know. <laughs> you know, maybe you're dozing. I don't know what it is. I mean, Sunday, everyone was sleeping. I was like, man, am I that bad? <laughs> that's okay. But sincerely, are they teaching us in their words, in their actions, in their correction? Is there a correction when it comes to us? Is it cutting us down or is it cutting us down and building us up? Because the true leader You know, like Paul did, he would give you a compliment sandwich. He's going to give you an encouragement and then a correction and then encouragement. Unless you're the Corinthian church and it's just one giant piece of correction meat and you have to kind of get through it all. (laughs) That's why I love Corinthians because bread sometimes is just a waste of time. But really, these are the people that we need to look into. You know, if I'm in leadership as pastor, my life in a sense should be a fishbowl. 
No, I may not give you my new address. I may not give you my new cell phone number. <laughs> All right, well. <laughs> but really, only because, you know, I have a wife and kids, and, you know, some of you all are crazy, just like me. But uh, not you guys, some of you. It's second service on Wednesdays. But I didn't get much sleep, so you guys have to deal with it. But um, really, you can be able to look into my life, and you can challenge me on things that you see, but I'm leaving after tonight, so. <laughs> but really, the leaders, you should be able to look in their lives. And, and sometimes we look into people's lives, and, you know, I've been around uh, other leaders for a while, and people will come up with the craziest accusations. How can they have that thing? Well, did you know that someone bought it for them? Or how do they have that? Did you know that they work two other jobs outside the church, and they don't get paid from the church? You know, it's like, People can sit in the pews or in the, the chairs that we have, and they can think that they know everything about a leader by what they see on the outside. And that's not necessarily true. You know, if the leader starts asking you for a jet, I have to keep digging that while I can because it's so ridiculous. But really, if they watch out for you, if they care for you, if their lives match up and aren't perfect because I'm not perfect, and I go, God, how is it possible that you're doing this in my life because I know who I am, you know, that pastors are just guys, you know. Maybe I'm the lowest rung, and some of the other pastors out there are actually holy. But really, they're people. We're people. We have shortcomings as well. Very many, especially the closer you get. You go, wow, yeah, how is God using you? Grace. And that, that's not an excuse for sin, but really, we need to recognize, and we need to understand that leadership is not to be worshipped. Leadership is to be just that. Leadership. Someone to follow as they follow Jesus. But really, we need, to, we need to, to watch out for our pastors and leaders. We forget to care for them. We forget to pray for them sometimes. And that's myself included in forgetting to do those things. I've been reading this really great book. It's called Dangerous Calling, and it's specifically from a pastor whose ministry has become two pastors. But if you're in leadership or you're just in the church and you want to read it and see, kind of get a little hard into maybe there's something different I need to do for my pastor or maybe the Lord's calling you one day, I suggest check it out. It's called Dangerous Calling. But really what he says is that there's this epidemic of this separation between the leadership and between the body. And it's unhealthy, right? There should be some sort of separation. You know, we can't be best friends with everybody, you know, especially in a church. It's like you just can't be best friends with the senior pastor all the time. It's just... Logically, it just can't work time-wise. You know, he would never be able to have time for his family. But really, they need ministry just as much as you need ministry. Right, they might sit under another pastor, and they might get teachings from someone else, but they need to be prayed for just like you need to be prayed for. They need to be encouraged just like we need to be encouraged. You know, all the things that you can say about yourself, well, leadership is a person just like yourself, and so they need the same ministry that goes on. It just plays out a little different in the body. You know, we really need to do that because so often we see someone fall or someone mess up who's in leadership, and how fast does that spread? But 10 people get baptized, and how many posts on Facebook about that are there? You know, how many people pick it outside the church? Yay, baptism last week! And I'm picketing, I can't believe this happened, or I'm leaving the church because someone got baptized. (laughs) Heaven forbid. You know, we forget that they're people, and not that they shouldn't be held up to a certain standard. Absolutely not. There is a standard. There is an extra judgment for being a pastor or in leadership on this life and in the next. But really, we're the body. We're not separate. If there's an unholy separation 
between the leadership and the body, well, there's probably something wrong. You know, if there's an unholy separation between your arm and your torso, you know, you might want to go to the doctor, (laughs) get some stitches. You know, you might need a blood transfusion. I don't know. But really, there shouldn't be this big separation. Yeah, maybe your lives don't intertwine all the time. You know, just like my hands don't touch my feet all that often. But really, they're all attached to the same body. And they all need to keep going in the same direction. Because my hands care for my feet, and my feet care for my hands, like Paul would say. We're all the body. We need to watch out for each other. But with it, I have to say that as someone in quote-unquote leadership, I've been so blessed by everyone in this church and in other churches and by the love and the support and the encouragement that I've had through the years when I was in leadership and when I wasn't in leadership. You know, I think that that's a mark of true fellowship is that when people know you and they don't treat you any different because God's not partial. So if we're treating the pastor differently than we treat the person who's new, then there's probably a problem. You know, the pastor doesn't need everyone to greet him on Sunday, but the new person does. And not that I don't want you to greet me or that you shouldn't greet the pastor. Don't ignore him. But really, if we're not being the body, we're not loving each other, and we're being partial, there's an issue, and that goes both ways. But I've been so blessed by the things that everyone has shared and done and and said for me and still do, you know. And that was my biggest relief when I went to Maryland. I didn't know what I was going to find. I really didn't know what I was going to find. You know, I I got saved up here. I've been in church up here. I've been involved in ministries up here. And I met other believers in other ministries, you know, from around the world. But going down there, I really didn't know what to expect. And you know what I found? Or what the Lord brought in my path, really? People who love Jesus. Really love Jesus. They must really, if they want to get involved in anything that I'm putting my hands to. Like, yeah, we love the Lord, and it's okay. But, <laughs> but really, they've prayed for me. I have an opportunity to share with a church down there this Sunday. You know, it's going to be on the radio. All this, like, in, insane things that I go, Lord, this has to be you. This has to be you. They love Jesus. I've been in, in certain meetings and prayed with them, and it's just so great to go from a body of believers to another part of the body of believers because we're all in one body. It's not just our church versus the church down the street versus that church. No. You know, if they're totally whack, yeah, they're not part of our body. <laughs> but if they love Jesus and they know, you know, the core stuff is right, then they're part of the body. But it says here, <clears throat> excuse me, that. We need to esteem them very highly for their work's sake. That we need to respect pastors and respect leadership, not necessarily because they deserve it, because a lot of times they don't. I know I don't. But really for their work's sake. Just like I don't agree with certain administrations or certain government, but I still respect the office of president. I still respect the office of Congress, even if they don't respect my office as citizen. You still need to respect it. That's how order is maintained. You know, If, if you start only esteeming the president that you like, well, look at the, the, the trouble that our nation is in because we only esteem the people that we want to esteem. But how much more so in the gospel, in the church? Because it's for their work's sake. If we're infighting in the church, and I know this is kind of a meat of correction right here, and this, you know, Thessalonians has been very you know, soft and carrot cake-like and good to eat. You know. <laughs> I had some carrot cake there, and it was good. But if we're infighting, how far is that work going to go? It's like if we all have to put our hands to the plow, so to speak, and then we take one hand off and we start punching each other, you know, how far is that plow going to go? It's only going to go half speed maybe, maybe less, maybe quarter speed, and then both hands will be off and we'll be at each other's necks. And Is the work getting done? No. No. And for what? 
Isn't it better just to kind of take it and keep going and say, Lord, it's for you? Even if no one appreciates me? Even if the guy doesn't deserve my respect? I mean, unless the Lord says, I've got another plow for you to put your hands to, why do we take our hands off so often? Because it's tiring? Because it hurts? Maybe because we haven't been looking to esteem the one that we should esteem the most, and that's the Lord. Because when we take our hands off the plow and we begin to hit each other, who's it really hurt? The new believers? And then the people who aren't believers? I mean, think about if a church blows up, all the people that have to hear about it. People at the bank, people at the landlord, people at your job, your neighbors, your family, your friends, Facebook, the news. Heaven forbid the news find out about it. You know, I heard about a church that um, fell apart on the West Coast. And it broke my heart. Because people were picketing outside their church. Why? If you don't agree, and maybe, there, maybe if there was something sinful going on, then leave and leave quietly. Go somewhere else. And people say, why would you leave? Say, well, I think God was calling me out. I think that, you know, maybe there was a problem. I don't know, but I just feel like the Lord was calling me to leave. And that's okay. But don't go back to the church and say, come with me. There's something wrong. Come with what if there's not? What if you're wrong and you're causing division? But these people, to get back to this actual real-world story, are out picketing in front of their church. Give us our church. Give us our church. It's on the news. It's on Facebook. It's everywhere. It's like, whose kingdom are you fighting for? Your own? Yeah. Instead of fighting for his kingdom. Because if they left and they left quietly and they went somewhere else and God did a work through them, well, name would have been, shame wouldn't have been brought to Christ. Now, not to say that we don't need to deal with things and public leaders, even Christian leaders who are in the public eye, not to say that you know, nothing ever bad should be said about them or we shouldn't call them out for what they are. But really, love covers a multitude of sins, right? And if God covers our sin and God doesn't lay out our garbage that we've dealt and brought with to him, why should we broadcast it anywhere else? Especially among the church, because the church loves the gossip. And we don't call it sin. And I don't know why I'm talking about this, so I apologize. But maybe it's because I'm leaving. I can say whatever I want. <laughs> or maybe it's the Lord. But really, how do we treat those over us in the gospel? Do we treat them with dignity? With respect? Are we ready to serve? That's not to say that we're going to be kissing their feet and thinking that they're all holy. But really, if you're coming to church to serve and there's an echelon of leadership, not for the fact that someone's better than you because they're not. You know, I tend to think that the only reason why the Lord has me up here is because he can't use me anywhere else. I'm not a good businessman. I'm not a good sports star. You know, I draw like a six-year-old, so (laughs) there's only one place he can use me spiritually, and it must be here because he has to keep me on a tight leash. It's true. Because it wasn't. I'd probably go to something else. But I can't because I love it because of what God has for me. But are we ready to serve? Because if this person is in leadership and they've come to put their hands to the plow and part of putting their hands to the plow is allowing other people to come alongside and serve them, like serve, not serve them, but serve them in the ministry saying the pastor is the one calling the shots or the children's ministry leader is calling the shots and you come to do children's ministry and it's your first day and you say, no, I think we should do things differently. How about let's just put our hands to the plow? Let God worry about the direction that it needs to go in. And I think that things would go much farther, things would go much faster, more things would be planted, more people would get saved if we stopped fighting with each other, if we stopped fighting with the church down the street. And we started going, well, again, as long as the church down the street is <laughs> following the gospel, and that's sometimes few and far between these days. But really, if, if we're esteeming each other, just like you would in the military or in any organization, you know, your boss tells you to do something, you do it. 
Probably because they give you a paycheck and you like the paycheck. But you don't get paid here, so it's a little different. <laughs> you know? But really, if we all work together and just esteem the office for the office's sake, for Jesus' sake, how much further would we go? Now, I'm not to say to say that if something bad happens or, you know, there's extenuating circumstances or things like that, or if the, the leader is a bad leader, that you need to continue that. But I think that sometimes we jump ship real early without praying. And other times we stay on too long when God's saying to leave. So there's always a balance there. But are we esteeming each other for Christ's sake? You know, the Bible even says that we're not to have self-esteem. We're to have others' esteem. We're to esteem others more highly than ourselves. You know, think of the carpenter's apprentice. You know, I heard it said that, um, you know, the best apprentice is one who just does. He doesn't wait to be asked. He's not standing around. What do you need? What do you need? What do you need? He sees the carpenter is getting things ready. The carpenter has some nails out, but there's no hammer. So the apprentice goes, I'm going to go find the hammer. Gets the hammer. And the carpenter's like, oh, and it's in his hand, and he can swing. Because if he's there all the time saying, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? The carpenter's not going to be able to do his job. And the apprentice is not going to learn. Not to say that there's not a season for that. You know, obviously, what do I do? I don't even know what a hammer is. Tell me what a hammer is. Tell me where to find it. But as you've been walking for a while, there should be a time when you say, okay, I don't need to be told what to do. I can just start looking around and start doing things. And I think, you know, at least in our church, people have been asking because, you know, just about my church history and everything and how when we were in a school, we met in a school setting, it was much more obvious that things needed to be done. You know, there's a trailer. It's open. There's stuff on the trailer. It has to come out of the trailer. It has to go in to the sanctuary. It has to be plugged in, set up, etc. So it's much easier. Oh, I don't need to tell you what you need help with. Let me help you push this because it looks like it's going to fall over. Let me help plug this in because there's a big mess of wires on the floor. It was very obvious. But now that all the chairs are here, it's vacuumed, the lights are on, you look around and go, oh, there's probably not much to do. I guarantee there's plenty to do. And not that you have to do it, but now there's opportunity to do things because the chairs are set up. There's opportunity to do things because you go like this and the sound and the lights are on instead of spending an hour setting it up. So in the other sense, if you see like there's a need, well, you saw the need, feel free to do it. I mean, if you think it's kind of, I don't know about this, let me go get some leadership advice and feel free to do it. I mean, you're the body, right? You know? My foot doesn't come to me and say, should I kick the ball when your daughter kicks it to you? I don't know, foot. <laughs> do you feel equipped? I've got a shoe on. <laughs> ball goes by. No, the ball comes, foot goes. <laughs> Same thing. I think we can do that. I think we can do that. But again, it's not for leadership's sake. It's not to puff up the leadership or to make the leadership feel like, you know, they're the bee's knees or whatever the saying is. But really, it's for the work of the gospel. Because if we can't be faithful in the little things, as the Bible says, how can we be expected to be faithful in the bigger things? You know, hopefully most of the time, I'll call a pastor a pastor around other people, even if I don't have to call him pastor to his face. You know, just out of a sign of respect, so that and it's not that he has to be respected in a sense, but because he should be respected. God's ordained this man, you know, just like David respected Saul. There's an ordination there. And, you know, and then again, it's like if someone new comes in and sees one pastor calling the other pastor, you know, making fun of him or something, well, then what are they going to say to him? <laughs> Bleep! <laughs> you know, who knows? Or helping them, saying yes, serving them in the body. You know, if a leadership asks you to do something and you know they love you, it's not really a big deal. And sometimes I feel bad because I know people like, you know, there were some people serving around here before, and I'm like, oh, just turn that on and do this. 
And in my heart, I'm like, just I know they know me, so I don't need to be like super polite about it. Then I realize, oh, that made it. Maybe that came out wrong. So, you know, I'll uh, amend a please on the end of that. You know, because I don't want them to feel like I'm beating them. But again, sometimes it's like there's people that I know that have the heart for the ministry. They can say, hey, go do that. I know they'll go do that because I know they're looking for something to do. And it's not because I don't want to do it. It's because I know they want to do it and that they're available. And the only way that everything is going to get turned on in time is if we all put our hands together. You know, I'd have to get here like yesterday and run around all day to get everything set up. You know, I only restocked the fridge because it was low on Diet Coke. (laughs) Talking about wrong motives, right? I was like, I'm going to let someone in the cafe do that. (laughs) No, I should have done it. But think of it this way. You guys ever gone on a log flume? Like Great Adventure, like the little log, you know. There's a little one that you go on with your kid and your dad, and it's like, oh, your socks get wet, and oh, I scream when you're six years old. But there's that big one that's like four people wide. <laughs> you know, they go down and you get soaking wet. But leadership, they're in the front of the log flume. You're in the back. You get down, you get down the hill, water goes everywhere. You're like, yeah, that was fun. No, my socks got wet. The leader gets out of the boat, and they're covered because the leadership goes forward. And I think, you know, <laughs> it's... During certain seasons, I don't know, maybe it's just my crazy brain, but I think of like a ship in a storm. You know how it's got kind of the mast on the front of it? I feel like the leader is kind of tied to the front of the mast. It's like getting all the waves in the face, and you're in the back, you know, like eating the free meal on the cruise. Like, oh, man, look at those waves. They're so high. <laughs> They're starting to come overboard. <laughs> you know, is there more taco? <laughs> and the leader's in front. Like, and that's true. You know, sometimes you'll see a leader in a meeting after service or before service, and you don't know the stuff that, that goes on that a leader has to deal with. And it should never be dealing with, but really helping the body. But really, man, sometimes it's like, you know, you get a phone call or you find out what's going on in someone's life and you go, oh, man, how can, that's heavy. And that's part of the, the, the good part about being a leader. But, man, they go through things that we will never go through. You know, there's a bullseye on leadership that may never be on you. You know, you go to work and say you're a Christian, that's one thing. You go to work and say you're a pastor of a church of 5,000 people, they're going to look at you a little differently. They're going to think differently of you and expect more of you, some right and some wrong. But leaders should be in the front taking the brunt of the waves for the Lord and for you, defending you. Someone comes in and starts talking bad about you, I hope and I pray that the leadership will say, nope, stop that. Even if they know those things are true, the leader should be there to defend you in prayer, in encouragement, but also in practicality. I know that the leaders that I trust most of my life have been that way for me, and I haven't had to ask them, would you defend me? Would you pray for me? Would you come alongside me? No, they just do, because they love the Lord. I want to see where we're at, because I don't have the note here, but... But again, it says, to see them very highly, verse 13, in peace for their works, in love for their work's sake, be at peace among yourselves. I think the other side of that is that when the body's infighting, which is going to happen from time to time, you know, if you have kids, kids fight. I mean, my kids are perfect and they're too little to fight yet, so I <laughs> haven't gotten there yet. But really, you know, it's like, again, it's like the pastor's coming to serve, people are coming to serve, and if there's a problem going on, not that that problem is not part of the pastor's responsibility, but it's like, do we really want to be the problem child? Do you really want to be the one around, going around setting fire to the carpet five minutes before service? And, you know, the pastor comes up sweating and covered in, you know, fire retardant gel or something, you know? Do we really want to be the one causing the problem and distracting from the real work of the gospel, you know? And not that that's not part of it. You know, changing dirty diapers is part of raising kids and dealing with stuff in the church body is 
part of being a church. But really, we should all be striving to be at peace with one another. You know, even if it means we have to swallow our pride sometimes. It says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. So that see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for both yourselves and for all. That we need to pursue that. Again, like we talked about, you know, we need to pursue these things. You know, holiness is something that we need to, to go after. That it's not necessarily just going to happen in our lives. I mean, obviously God gives it to us, but we need to be actively pursuing God and actively pursuing what he has for us to be in that holy state. But we need to pursue what is good, both for ourselves and for all. As a body, again, we're going to pursue and go, well, it's good for me to be involved in the work of God. It's good for me to encourage others to be involved in the work of God. It's good for me not to fight with other people. You know, we need to pursue these things. Again, because we live in a fallen world, we all struggle, we all have bad motives, we all have bad days from time to time. You know, I rented a truck last night, and I, you know, it was two nights ago, I ordered a truck and a trailer, and then they said they'd tell me where to go, and I went to go where it was, and I get there, and they're like, well, we don't have a trailer. I said, excuse me? <laughs> I ordered one. And she goes, I know, they, they messed it up. So they actually, you know, they got me a trailer, and, but it took a delay. And it was like one of those things, like, you know, I'm trying to get stuff done. I'm on a schedule, and God's like, I got a different schedule for you today. But really, we need to pursue these things because stuff just naturally wants to fall apart. Stuff naturally is going to go wrong. And stuff naturally in a church, if we're not pursuing peace with each other, is going to want to fall apart going to want to go away because if we're not pursuing God and we're not pursuing holiness and we're not pursuing love with each other, well then, there's only one other option for it. You know, it's like if you're not pursuing a college degree, you're not going to get one in the mail. You know, well you might. I mean, maybe you order one. You probably order one these days. But we need to pursue that. What is good for everybody. And part of that is rejoicing always. Rejoicing always and pray without ceasing and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Again, we say, God, what is your will for me? It's to rejoice no matter what. All right, Lord, my plans didn't go expected, but that should be expected. Your plans are better. All right, Lord, they got promoted over me, but your plan is better. All right, Lord, whatever it is, let's rejoice in it. When worship comes on, let's rejoice even when we feel like we don't have anything to rejoice because we do have plenty to rejoice about. But it says that in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Will of God, he wants you to have a good life. It just may not be full of money and cars and houses, but it should be full of rejoicing and peace and love and unity. That only comes through pursuing it, and that only comes through prayer and, uh, and uh, getting through hard things. But verse 19 is an interesting one. He says, do not quench the Spirit. So, is the Holy Ghost water? No. <laughs> is the Holy Ghost a fire? Maybe. I mean, uh, day of Pentecost, the tongues of fire come down on everyone's head. They speak in tongues. People get saved. This fire comes into the life of the disciples that wasn't there before, and they ran away from the cross. So now they're running to being killed. But it says, do not quench the Spirit. You know, if there's a fire going, how do you quench it? Pour water on it. You don't pour gasoline on it. Or maybe, you know, you have one of those, like, we have fire extinguishers at home that have things for the kitchen or things for the garage. There's different types. You know, you spray one on the wrong one, and electricity, electricity will get you. But really, you don't want to quench the spirit. You don't want to cut out a supply of oxygen to fire. You don't want to you know, cut out the supply of fuel uh, or heat. Any one of those things will, will turn out a fire. 
But with the Spirit, we don't want to quench Him. Again, because the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He's not forcing His will on your life. He's not, do this, move there, serve them, love them, do it now or forever go to hell. No, He's going, this is better. I've got something better. Come to me. I know you're weary. Just put it down. Spend some time with me. Turn off the TV. You have a DVR. Spend some time with me. You know? Because he's a gentleman. But that doesn't mean that when he convicts you or points out something that's wrong or something that needs to be changed or something that's good to be done, that it's not going to burn within you. There's times, man, when I feel the heat of conviction. Remember when I first got saved, I'm like, what is this? What's wrong with me? (laughs) It was like hot. I'd be sitting there listening to a message. You know, I think I'm in the clear, and then a verse hits me or... God begins to open my mind and reveal my mind to things, and all of a sudden it gets hot. I'm like, oh, is it a little warm in here? You know, it's a little warm right now. I, you know, maybe I'm maybe under conviction right now. But really, maybe it's more like you're stressed about something, you can't sleep. That happens to me. I can't sleep because I'm convicted, because I haven't spent the right time with the Lord to deal with a certain issue in my life. It's conviction. Again, it's God going, I'm going to be a gentleman and light a little fire under your seat. <laughs> You know, so it's going to hurt, and it's not going to be comfortable, but I'm not going to burn you with it. Because God wants to change us. God wants to change you. That's not like a derogatory thing, man. God wants to change you. <laughs> it's God wants to change you for the better. For the better. You know, First Timothy 4, 1 through 3 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving him to giving heed, excuse me, to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. We've talked about a lot of this in Corinthians and in our study here that, man, people are turning from their faith left and right. That's the great falling away that God says is going to happen, and it's happening. He says, when is it going to happen? The latter times. So if this is happening now, and it's supposed to happen in the latter times, that means now is the latter times, right? But it says, they give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. So they go from believing the Holy Spirit and the doctrine of God, the apostles, the New Testament, and the Old Testament. They turn away from the faith, and they start believing doctrines of demons. Basically, demons have their own thing to teach you. You know, you want to go out and worship Buddha? You want to go out and worship and do Santeria or whatever it is? You'll have a doctrine for your life. You want to go out and worship Oprah? Did you call Oprah a demon? No, but maybe some of the stuff she says is a doctrine of demons. Something that's having you put your faith in anything other than Jesus Christ. And it says that they, they speak lies and hypocrisy. Man, how often do we hear that today in the church and outside the church where they tell you something's the truth, but it's not the truth, and then they don't live it themselves. You know, they tell you to, <laughs> don't worry when the NSA is looking at your email, but then when they find your email server that you weren't supposed to have, you didn't know. <laughs> Things like that. There's tons of hypocrisy out there. But it says that they're having their own conscience seared with the hot iron, that God has given us a conscience. We have a basic understanding of what's right and wrong built into us. But we can turn that off. The way we turn that off is by searing it with a hot iron. You know what happens when you burn yourself? You lose feeling. You get scar tissue. It gets thicker. You know? Ah, At first it hurts. Ah, ow. 
Ow, I know this is wrong. I shouldn't be doing this. Ow, I know this is wrong. Ow, okay, all right. So then I do something else to take away the pain, which I know is wrong as well, but at least my pain is going away, and then I do something else to take away the pain of that. And all of a sudden it doesn't hurt anymore, and my conscience is seared, and now I'm out doing things that I never thought I would ever be doing before because I don't feel like they're wrong anymore. And then I'm out parading it around town and telling you to do the same things because they, they're not wrong. I don't feel they're wrong. What's right for me is not right for you. Conscience has been seared to where now our society's conscience as a collective has been seared so bad, like the Bible says again in the last days, that what was called good will be evil and what's evil will be called good. To where you look around now, you want to stand up for what the Bible says, people are going to call you evil. How can you believe that? That's so hate filled. What? It's not hate, it's the truth that your sin is going to kill you. And God doesn't want you to die from it. And because of that, I think the next verse rings true. Do not despise prophecies. Now, a prophecy could be speaking forth of God's word. If I'm just reading the word of God to you, in a sense, that's prophesying because I'm speaking forth God's word. It could also be telling the future, like Revelation, where we read it. It's telling us things that haven't happened yet. Or when we read the Old Testament, it tells us, told them and it tells us about the Messiah that would, that would come in the future that hadn't come yet. That was prophecy, future told. But it also could be a personal word for you. You know, someone in my life recently said, you know, I was praying for you guys this morning. I was just reminded of a couple of verses and I just wanted to share them with you. And they were such a blessing. For me, that was prophecy. Saying, God gave me these words to give to you personally. Thank you, Lord. It's about stuff that's gonna, you know, going on in our lives and everything. And that can be either a good thing, or that can be either a bad thing. You know, there's, we won't get into the gifts of spirit, but there can be words of knowledge. Someone you know that loves you, or someone you know that maybe doesn't know you that well, and then they're just praying for you, and God just gives them a word of knowledge and says, hey, can I talk to you? This is going on in your life. Or maybe you're telling them something, they just know you're lying straight to them, even though they would have no other way of knowing it. That's happened to me both ways. But again, there's this connection between the conviction and the word of God. That when the word of God comes, there's going to be conviction. And people like we saw who are doing evil, like we read last week or last Sunday, hate it. When they hear the word of God, they hate it because they are wicked and they're doing wicked. So, of course, what's the only natural reaction to what's good when you're wicked? Hating it. Just like us, when we pursue God and pursue the things of God, when something wicked is presented to us, we go, no, I hate that. But if it's presented to us and we don't hate it and we don't react to that hate, we get desensitized to it. Like the stuff that's on TV now probably wouldn't have been on TV 20 years ago, but we've been so desensitized to it. Or the stuff that even that we Christians do, we're so desensitized to certain things. And that's not to demonize everything that's out there, but really, we need to be careful, as we'll see in a minute, what we're allowing ourselves to be seared with. You know, is it God's word searing into our brains and burning away the scar tissue and you know, putting eyes where there were no eyes before? Or is it wickedness and evil coming and searing our conscience to where a year from now, where will you and I be? Will we have fallen away or will we have maintained the course and kept our hands to the plow? That's all the enemy wants to do, guys, is get us to take our hands from the plow because Jesus completed the work already. He did it all, so if we keep our hands to the plow, what's going to happen? Everything that God said in the Bible, prophesied, is going to happen in your life in other people's lives. God says that if we repent and we pray and we turn from our wicked ways, what's going to happen? 
our land will be healed. Why isn't our land healed? Because we're not believing it. It's not because God doesn't want to heal the land. Maybe it's too late and maybe judgment has to come and before our repentance. I'm not saying that might not happen. But could it be so hard for us to just repent and not be evil and see our own conscience as a church and see the, the land get plowed up and good things begin to come out of the land, even if the rest of the field is messed up, that one track of land that we're pushing through, maybe there will be growth there. I don't know. But I think we cry out for revival so often, and I'm on a soapbox right now, and we think revival's going to come in a tent or a guy in a suit, but revival's got to start with you and me. It's got to start when God begins to convict you and me, and we go, yes, Lord, you're right. I'm wrong. I repent. If that doesn't happen, then the church isn't going to happen. And it's evident because our hands aren't to the plow because we're not listening to the conviction of God. And I want to see a revival. And it doesn't mean I can conjure one up. I can spit fire and brimstone all day and a revival won't happen. But you know why I want to see a revival? Because God wants to see a revival. You know why God wants to see a revival? Because that's not a waste. If this is a waste, if there is no resurrection from the dead, as Paul says, we are of all men most pitiable, so why do we show up? Why do we come here? Is it, is it to get plowed up? Is it to get convicted? Is it to get called out on things? Is it to get built up and to love each other and make real friends for life? Or is it just to do something and check off a box? And I don't think that you guys are checking off a box here. I'm not saying that, but I think that, man, there needs to be a burning in our lives. But Romans 10, 13-15 says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. How is the world going to know these things unless we repent as a church and do what God's asked us to do personally, individually, and corporately? They won't. The world's not going to teach them the Bible. A lot of the churches aren't going to teach them the Bible. But if we're not learning this Bible, and we're not taking it to heart, our lives won't be changed, and then the world won't be changed. And I think we'll have to make an account for that one day. It says here, in the next verse, 21, test all things. Man, I didn't think this message was going to go this way. <laughs> but test all things. Hold fast what is good. You know, in science, they have to test things. You know, in high school, you got the little, like, marble notebook, and it had to be graph paper. And, you know, I hated writing in pencil, so I'd write in pen, and then I'd write down the wrong number, and I'd have to cross it out and lose points for having pen <laughs> in my notebook. But they have to test all things. I mean, sci- you know, James and I were talking the other day, and science isn't about testing anything anymore. It's about trying to prove their theory right. But real science, I like real science, and it's a shame because I can't watch real science shows anymore because it's all religion shows. It's all the aliens that came to seed Earth. And I'm just like, just tell me about the density of the atmosphere on Pluto, if there is any. <laughs> you know, that's stuff I want to learn. Don't ask me why. Or troubleshooting. You know, if something goes wrong with your car or something goes wrong, you know, with a computer, I have to troubleshoot it. Someone will say, well, I got this error message. I go, Okay. <laughs> What were you doing? You know, what operating system is it? You know, what type of, well, you know, all these other things because systems are so complicated that we need to know what's going on there. And the same thing with spiritual things. We need to be able to dig into God's word. And I think that's part of what got me saved was that I used to like to dig apart things. You know, I was searching for truth. I was searching for love. 
I would dig apart relationships. I would dig apart movies and say, oh, there's an error here. There's an error here. And, you know, people try and tell me about any errors in Back to the Future now, and I refuse to believe it because that's a perfect trilogy in my mind. <laughs> but other movies, I, I can't get into it because I'm watching it. I'm like, no way would that gun make that sound. You know, they'd be bleeding out the ears if they did that in the hallway, you know, or no way could that car catch air that fast. You know, no way. I know mean, I'll rent it. I won't go pay $20 a theater for it. But really, the same thing when it comes to the scripture and the same thing comes with our lives. We need to test all things. We need to say, well, the Bible says this. Let me see if it's true. Let me test it. You know what? God loves that. When you go, wow, that verse is really doing something for me. Maybe I do need to be at peace with all my brethren. And you begin to test it and say, all right, Lord, I don't feel like being nice to this person. Let me be nice to them. And then all of a sudden, they're nice back. And you what do I do now? <laughs> what, what's the next word to say? You know, all right, you know, I don't know. But as we begin to test these things, we need to do that. Because the more we test God's word, and not the, even if we test it and we're like, God, I test your word, he'll still eventually show himself to you. You know, he's willing to argue it out with you. But the more we test it, the more we're going to find out that it's true. And the more we want to test it, and the more we want to test it, and the more we want to test it. It's like, you know, I used to like to rollerblade and skateboard as a kid, and it's like, well, let me try doing an ollie. Oh, that, I didn't really get it, but let me try it this time, and this time, and eventually I could do a trick, and another trick, and another trick. And it's the same thing. You know, if we take the scripture and go, I want to do that trick, you know, like, I used to like doing that stuff as a kid, sk- hockey, skateboarding, rollerblading, crazy stuff like that. And you know what I would do? I would watch videos. I would see guys on these videos with their music and they're a little bit older than me doing all these rad tricks. My friends I would watch it, then we'd go outside and try and do them and not even come close. But we'd have these heroes, these idols that we had that we would look to for inspiration. And we have that in the Bible, guys. You look at Paul's life and go, man, I don't know if I want to do that trick, but it sounds like a lot of fun. We have leadership that we can look to and go, man, I don't know if I want to do that trick, but God's showing up in their lives. Is he, maybe he'll show up in my life. And again, that's good leadership. When we can look to leadership and say, wow, they're doing something crazy and God still showed up. Maybe I can get through what I'm going through. But the next verse says, verse 22, abstain, abstain from every form of evil. And I think that this is a hard verse. This, you go in the Bible and you get through a lot in the Bible and you go to 1 Thessalonians 5.22 and you go, I don't know. I don't know if I can test this one in my life. It says every appearance of evil. There's every form that could be translated as appearance. But it says to abstain. And what does abstain mean? Like abstinence. There's only one answer to that. To stay away. There's only one solution, like Joseph, to run away from every form of evil. Well, what looks like evil? What does evil look like? That might be a hard question. That might be a very hard question. Is what I'm doing in my life look like evil? Well, to me it doesn't. Or maybe my mind's not seared, and, I, and you know, like the Bible says, all things are pure to those whose hearts are pure. And I know that I'm not doing anything wrong here. I know it's nothing sinful in what I'm doing, and I'm just whatever it is. But to my weaker brother, or maybe to just another brother who's sensitive, maybe, or maybe sees something that I don't see, and you go, that looks like evil. And you go, this doesn't look like evil, it looks like lunch. And you go, well, that kind of looks like evil. Like, I don't understand why people eat lobster. To me, it's a cockroach that crawled out of the sea. And even my friends who eat lobster go, yes, it is, but it's good. And they even tell me that it used to be prison food and normal people wouldn't eat it. I go, exactly, it's a cockroach. (laughs) 
Expensive, right? That's that's the genius. Someone somewhere said, I'm going to charge people a lot of money for a cooked cockroach. <laughs> We're doing stuff wrong sometimes, I think. But really, does it cause someone to stumble? It's not evil for me necessarily, but it looks like evil. Like, you get the idea of like, you know, maybe somebody who's single has a house and they have many spare rooms in this house and then they invite the opposite sex to stay over at their house. Maybe nothing ever goes on. Maybe that opposite sex person is their sister. I don't know. But the neighbor who doesn't know Jesus, who's living with their girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, their dog, I don't know, sees this person living there, sees this other person going into that house and staying over Bye in the morning, gives them a hug. See you later. What do they think just went on? Maybe it was totally innocent. Maybe nothing happened, nothing ever would happen. But to that other person, they're not going, oh, the Christian next door has girls over all night. There's no problem with what I'm doing. So they were getting convicted over their sin by his life. His life is now saying it's okay to do their sin. You're searing their conscience. And you're searing your own. And that's not to say that we can't do anything and we need to sit in a closet and just, mm, you know, that's not going to get you anywhere. But really, we need to be careful about what it looks like. You know, Jesus says this in Mark chapter 9, verse 42. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung about his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand caused you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. Interesting. Where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot caused you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell into fire that shall never be quenched. Where their worm does not die, the fire is not quenched. It keeps repeating that, I think, because he wants us to hear it. Because our brains are kind of thick. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be seasoned with fire and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. And I think we get that salt verse a lot out of context. And it's interesting to see it here in context after what Jesus was just saying. And again, if we're salt, if we're to be the salt that preserves the earth, if the salt has lost its flavor, it's good for nothing to be trampled, thrown out into the street and used to kind of plow the, the sidewalk. I don't want that to be my life. I don't want to be out in the street being used to plow the sidewalk and then when the rain comes, I'm gone. I want my life to be flavorful of God. And I know he wants our lives to be that way too. And I think part of the way we lose our saltiness is searing our conscience, quenching the work of the Holy Spirit, but also not abstaining from things that appear to be evil because now we don't really taste too different than the world. Quenching the fire, not abstaining from appearances of evil leads to only one thing, lukewarmness. And what did Jesus say about those who are lukewarm? I'll spit you out of my mouth. I'd rather you be completely cold for me so that I can reach you and you'll feel the warmth when I begin to convict you or completely hot for me that when I add a little warmth to you, you just get a little hotter. Let's go, go on here and we'll close out. Verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. 
And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. It says here, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. I love that. We need to always look to Jesus himself. He's the one who wants to sanctify us. He's the one who wants to do this work in us. He doesn't expect us to do it on our own. He doesn't expect you and me to be heavy laden, burned, burdened down, going, I'm, I, don't, I don't hear you, God. I'm, I'm seared. If we would just realize that we're not hearing him, that's the first step. He's willing to take us through. We don't need to come up with the answers down the road. You know, a friend was sharing with me something that the Lord had, was leading him to do, and he's like, well, I can't expect God to show me the next step until I've done what he's already asked me to do. And I think sometimes we get down the road a little ways and we go, where's God? Well, maybe we just need to go back and, and just be obedient to what he asks us to do. But I think it's great, too, that we need to always look to Jesus because he wants to sanctify us completely. Because he wants to do it completely. He wants to complete this work. He doesn't want to leave you as you are, again, in a good way. He wants to complete you. He doesn't want you to be, you know, half-baked. You know, my mom made these brownies for dinner for our family every night. And I thought they were mushy, but apparently they were supposed to be. I'm like, these are like half-baked. I couldn't enjoy it. They're fine, but I still ate them. <laughs> but really, God doesn't want us to be half-baked. He wants us to be, hmm, good. But again, we always need to look to Jesus and this whole idea of leadership as well, because everyone else will fail you. I know I fail all the time. I know I fail my family all the time, let alone the church. You know, people are always going to fail us. And I think when we begin to have unrealistic expectations of our leaders, and then they fail us, and we go flying off the handle and out the door and down the street and to the bar, well, where were our expectations? Where was our hope? Was it in Jesus sanctifying us or in this person in our lives? Again, not to, you know, put too light a touch on, you know, leadership can obviously hurt us. Things can obviously go wrong, and there are consequences of these things. And, you know, if you're hurt and you need to, you know, people leave, and well, that's, you know, on the Lord, and the Lord's going to take care of that. I'm not saying he needs to go one way or the other. But really, where are our eyes? Are they on the Lord? Because he's the one that we should be looking to. Because he's got the answers. You know, he says, brethren, pray for us. Again, this idea that leadership needs prayer, you know. I think it's so cool that Paul, the guy who wrote majority of the New Testament, is asking for prayer. And again, leadership should be the same way. If leadership is not saying, pray for me, or not having opportunity, or not sharing personal stuff that's going on in their life in the right situation, you know, I'm not going to share the deepest stuff necessarily up here. I may share it with certain people that I trust. But if I'm not putting myself out there for prayer, this is unholy separation there. Pray for us. I know you guys have been praying for us. My family, I could tell that people are praying for us all over the place because I see God working and I have comfort that I go, I know I didn't pray enough about this situation, but someone, someone else must be. I know Jesus is. Verse 27, and we're going to close out. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. He says, this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. Are you a believer? This epistle's for you. Every word that we've gone through, and that's in this whole Bible, is for you. There's not one paragraph in the Bible that God says, nope, not for you, except maybe the paragraphs on judgment. And the verse says, nope, that's not for you. I took that. But I think sometimes those are the only ones we think he has for us. And that's so not the case. And again, the world doesn't want the Bible. 
they needed to. And it's up to us to give it to them in the way we live our lives. And sometimes we need to put the Bible behind us and say, hey, my name is Tim. I live over there. Or what are you doing for lunch? Or can I help you with that? And then six months down the line, when there's an opportunity, an open door, an entrance like we looked at a while ago, hey, here's what the Bible says. Because sometimes if we come with this, they're so seared or they've been so burned by someone in the past, they're going to get turned off right away. Or sometimes we can't come in the door like this because our lives just don't look like it. And I think for myself, that's usually my biggest fear. Does my life really match up with this? I, don't really, I can't really share. And I think sometimes I go too far the other way. I go, I can't really share because I know about me and I need to remember him. You know, the world's not going to give itself the Bible. That's our job. But again, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. As my family and I prepare to move to Bethesda, well, Rockville, but our church in Bethesda, man, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I hope that, you know, when he comes back, that's, that's what we're all found in. We're not found busy putting up some brick of works and say, God, look at, look at this thing I built for you. And he's like, look at what I built for you. Will you just spend time with me? Not worry about that. You know, if you've been putting your hands to the plow and someone's been beating your back too much, just come to the cross. Come to the cross. So, Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, God, that no matter what happens in our life, no matter what goes on, your grace is sufficient for us. That, God, you say, who is sufficient for these things? God, you are. And, God, I pray you give us strength and peace to love each other and to keep our hands to the plow because when you come back, nothing else is going to matter. You know, if we were hurt or if we did well or what we thought, it's not going to matter. Only you are going to matter because you matter. And in that, Lord, we matter. Because, God, we matter to you more than life itself. And we thank you for that. And we praise you for that. And we pray that just your grace would be on us all as a body. You would draw us together and help us to put our hands to your plow uh, no matter where that field is, God. And uh, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So God bless you guys. Have a good night.